Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. And my guest today is Mercedes Palmeyer. Mercedes is the founder of Modus Athletica, and she is passionate about getting us stronger, more flexible, eating healthier, so we can go forth and crush for a lifetime. Today's episode is really a deep dive into flexibility training for climbers. I've had several guests on the podcast refer to Mercedes as the best in the business when it comes to flexibility and movement training. And if you are similar to me and have been intimidated by flexibility training because of all the stories we hear about how many hours and hours it takes to get any noticeable results, I think you will get a lot out of this interview. We talked about this in the episode, but I think Mercedes is the first trainer or coach who has made me feel hopeful about improving my own flexibility without having to dedicate every spare second of my life to stretching. And she really delivered. We came up with a program for me to improve my side splits with a time commitment of just six minutes per day. So I'm very excited about that. And as I promised in the interview, I wrote out that program and I will link to it in the show notes as a reference for any of you that want to try it. And I would love to hear how it goes if you do. We covered a lot of other ground in this episode as well. We talked about Mercedes' recent trip to Red Rocks and how and why she is using blood flow restriction training as part of her rest and recovery after the trip. We talked about whether or not climbers should be using passive stretches as part of our warm-up for climbing, and Mercedes gave some recommendations on how she warms up. We talked about how to cycle your training, both in strength and flexibility, and going in and out of seasons where we focus on these things, and why Mercedes is a fan of replacing some of our strength training with focused flexibility training at certain parts of the year. We talked about some of the biggest bang for your buck exercises that Mercedes focuses on with her climbing clients and which areas of flexibility climbers need the most and would benefit from working on. And we talked about nutrition a little bit right at the end. Mercedes co-authored a nutrition book called Peak Nutrition, and we didn't go into too much detail there, but I was curious what some of the biggest takeaways from the book were and Mercedes was able to highlight one or two of the most important principles that she focuses on with her clients when it comes to nutrition. We also mentioned a lot of exercises and stretches in this episode. Some of them are very difficult to describe and to visualize, and I really encourage you to check out the show notes for this episode. I link to pretty much everything we talked about. You can find those at thenuggetclimbing.com. And if you're curious what we're talking about when we describe a stretch, if you want a visual, if you want a video, you can find those in the show notes. I also link to a minimalist flexibility program that Mercedes offers on her website, and I link to her book, Peak Nutrition, as well. We did not get to any listener questions in this episode. There were a lot of good ones, actually, and we just didn't have time. So instead of trying to squeeze those in here, we decided to release this episode as a standalone and Mercedes and I did a follow-up call about a week later, and that will be available on Thursday. 
So if you are a patron and if you submitted a question for Mercedes, be sure to tune back in on Thursday to hear all of your questions answered. That was a really great conversation as well. And we clarified a few things from this episode. And I thought Mercedes had excellent answers for you guys. And we went for over an hour. So a lot of good stuff in that one as well. If you are not a patron, you can hear the teaser for that follow-up on Thursday. And if you want to hear the whole thing, you can sign up for Patreon at the link right there in your podcast app. It's just $5 per month to get access to follow-ups. We did have some connectivity issues toward the end of the interview. You'll hear Mercedes get a little choppy for a minute or two, but hang with it. We sorted things out pretty quickly, and with a little editing magic, it all worked out. Okay, without further ado, please enjoy this deep dive into the world of flexibility with Mercedes Palmeyer. Hello. Hey, Steve. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. <laughs> I think my van's about to get blown over by the window here in Waco. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Waco's telling me to leave. It's both very windy and it's about to get very, very hot. Oh, yeah. yeah so I normally like wind, but it's like having a hairdryer blown in your face when you're trying to climb. <laughs> <laughs> a little aggressive. <laughs> totally. Yeah. How's it how's it been going down there? Uh overall it's been really good. I've yeah. I, I'm very uh yeah, I've had a great time and I'm very happy with the season. The last month or so has been a little bit of a roller coaster for me. I had a little finger tweak, like a minor pulley tweak. And that's on the mend, but not a hundred percent. But um that oh. set me back for a little bit. And then I just I think I just had kind of gone too hard for too long, even though I had planned in some deloads. I don't think I really took them seriously enough. So I felt kind of worn down for a while. And then I started climbing really well again. And then the weather was hot and all over the place. And then I got sick. I just recovered from a a really weird, pretty gnarly head cold. Oh, no. Yeah, luckily... Luckily, I tested negative for COVID, but yeah, I was laid out for a few days and, and pretty stuffed up, and I probably still sound a little bit stuffy, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> but no, I, you sound fine, but I think it's like I'm having like weird allergies right now, too. Mm. I'm like, oh my God, do I have COVID? Then, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's just the allergies, mm. but uh yeah, I get you. So I'm sorry if I also sound a little stuffy too. <laughs> we make a great team today. Yeah. <laughs> I've been joking that the the congestion's protecting me from COVID that I can't breathe well enough to actually get any of it into my system. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Maybe yeah, it's a blessing in disguise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's been good. I, mm-hmm. I had kind of a final week of decent weather here this last week. Um, yeah. managed to send a couple things and it's about to get very, very hot. So it's kind of a nice yeah. little wrap on the season here. And, and you know, it's yeah. kind of nice when there's an obvious time to move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't drag it out and keep beating your head against something. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, you're going to head up this way, right? Where are you at again? 
I'm in Seattle. Oh, of course. Yeah, I knew that. Um, I, I am eventually, not yet, though. Okay. Yeah, I think okay. St. George next. Okay. Um, potentially Smith if I have time. Uh, I'm still, like I said, I'm still kind of rehabbing the finger a little bit, but I'm hoping that it'll be, you know, back to crimping hard with enough time to spend some time at Smith before it gets too hot there. But yeah, after that, I'll be going up to, uh, to central Washington for probably a month or six weeks and hang out with the family yeah. and do some training and cool. yeah, may- maybe pop over to the West side a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and wow. you just got back from a climbing trip, right? Yeah, I I got back from Red Rocks. I'm definitely feeling tired. Because uh, you asked me one of the questions was like, what am I focusing on right now? Uh, I'm focusing on recovering. Mm. <laughs> like, that's like, that's a big one for me. Because like, I'm still going to go and like, try to hit up my projects in Leavenworth. But I'm not, like, I'm really trying to like, chill. I was thinking about actually going back to Red Rocks because I have... I almost did this V10, like, I was, like, painfully, like, Uh, so painfully close that, like, I just needed one rest day, and then I would have done it, mm. Um, but it just, there was no time, Um, and so I'm like, I should go back, but it's so hot, (laughs) it's, like, 85 degrees now over there, Um, so I'm like, that's not worth it, I'll just wait until the end of the year oh that's so it's so hard i mean it keeps you yeah. psyched to go back but it yeah it's hard when yes. you're that close to walk away yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well that's cool luckily you have uh leavenworth to pivot to at least yeah 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 i'm stoked i'm stoked to get on some good granite and try hard and climb with my friends so yeah it'll be good so i'm, I'm curious what that looks like for you because that's something i always struggle with like when i get back from a trip i know that i'm supposed to chill out and rest and recover and then kind of yeah. eat you know ramp back in like ramp back up to climbing hard ease back yeah. in whatever and i never know how to do that <laughs> yeah. you know i take a week <laughs> off and then i do some a couple lighter sessions and then get psyched and try hard again but um but yeah do you have a, a specific method for that or what are you focusing on right now i mean so what i did was when i got back i, I basically forced myself to not climb for i think it was like four days hmm. um, like i didn't do anything i stretched i did some passive stretching um and just like went on some walks and then when my climbing session i kind of just wanted to check in on where I was at. So um, I did like a, I have this circuit on the moon board that I like, I basically keep it as like a list, um, like one of my log books in, um, in the moon board app. Mm. And I like periodically like go back to it to see where I'm at. And like, oh, I was actually great. really surprised. I was like, okay, like I can do most of the climbs here pretty quickly. So that means like my, like my fitness is still up, but my strength went down a little bit. So I'm like, okay, like I should probably focus more on strength right now and like still like limit climb, but just bring the volume down. So I'm, I'm probably down by like 50% compared to my training volume. Okay. Volume is 50%, but you're keeping the intensity high. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And like that way you can like at least maintain and like likely still improve your strength. And I'm going to be focusing on finger strength here in about a week. I'm going to kind of switch over to some finger like specific work. Mm. Um, but yeah, so like I'm not really doing too much like heavy lifting. I'm doing like, um, like moderate loads at moderate, uh, volumes. 
So like okay. I'm doing bench press and like some pull-ups. I'm doing pull-ups because I'm actually doing a pull-up program with a friend of mine. Um, so like I kind of have to do pulling. Um, <laughs> I'm curious. But, uh, we can circle back to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. um, but I am doing blood flow restriction training. So that's why it's oh. like very moderate loads. Like I'm not lifting heavy like at all. Um, and it's really nice because I have like, I don't know if like, yeah, you just mentioned that you have a finger injury. So like when, uh, so coming back from Red Rocks, I'm like, oh, my back is hurting. My finger is hurting a little bit. Like my shoulder's hurting, like things that I didn't really have really like too much going into the trip. I'm like, I should let these rest and recover. How do I maintain my strength and let these things recover? And that's blood flow hmm. restriction training. Yeah. And so like all of these little things have been kind of healing up, whether that's blood flow restriction training, I don't know. Um, hmm. It could just be that I'm resting because I'm resting and not like my volume is so much lower. It could also be that. So, you know, I'm, I'm in like a research study of one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but the blood flow stuff is nice because it like, it doesn't take very long. It feels kind of good. Like if you like that pump feeling, um, and the the effects last at least two days. Like I feel kind of like mm. this feeling of like no pain in my body for a couple days. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's been kind of nice. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is okay. So this is so interesting. I'm hesitant. I'm hesitant to even ask about this because it could be an entire episode, I'm sure. And I think it probably <laughs> yeah. should be. I actually have it kind of in the back of my mind to do a, a whole episode with about blood flow restriction training. Yeah. And I know yeah. it's something that Tyler Nelson talks about a lot. Yes. It's one yeah. of the few things in training that I've heard about a number of times now and seems to have, you know, good efficacy. And I've never tried it, never looked into it, don't know anything about it. So um, yeah. we don't have to go into the weeds here, but I would love to hear from your perspective, just maybe as a general overview, what is it and what would it be used for? Yeah. So like I learned like everything I know, I learned from Tyler. Okay. He was the one that, that introduced it to me. And I was like, this is scary. Like, why would I want to do this? Um, yeah. It, but it, Yeah. It freaks me out. Just the... Yeah. <laughs> I'll just leave what? it at that. I'm, yeah, I'm going to squeeze like my arms and my legs so that there's no blood. That seems really counter. Put a tourniquet on and do some training. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is my body going to blow up? Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, like the, the cuffs that uh, you use for the blood flow restriction are like, have been very um, highly like tested, especially in the laboratory. So like they really, they make these cuffs basically like, uh, foolproof, you know, I don't think you can really screw it up. Hmm. So you have to get the good ones. Um, and so like the ones that I bought are the B strong, um, blood flow restriction cuffs. And in general, you know, like the, the goal is they've used these protocols on injured athletes, like especially Olympic athletes. So if like a skier broke their leg, like six weeks before the Olympics, you know, they took this athlete, did blood flow restriction training on them every single day to make sure that they one keep up their strength uh, before going into the Olympics and to speed up recovery. And like they managed to do both with blood flow restriction training. And it has like, there's so much science now on it, especially I think this started in Japan, at least all of like the first part of like the research was done in Japan. And I think it was mostly done on like 
older folks who wanted to stay fit and healthy. And so they would go to these clinics to do blood flow restriction training for like 20 minutes. And then, you know, they go about their day and they're able to maintain their, their muscle mass and um, their bone density, you know, it really does depend on like the type of exercises that they're doing. They're not just like sitting there, you know, Um, but the loads don't have to be very high. It's like very low, low training. I was doing bicep curls last week with five pounds. Like Hmm. it is like, it feels silly. Like I could probably do bicep curls with almost no weight in my arms and my hands. And, you know, you do about 30 reps and you do three sets of 30 and then you're done. You move to a different uh, muscle group because that's really all uh, the tissue can handle because it's so much blood in that specific muscle. So you got to like keep going. Otherwise, if if you train too much, then you're going to overtrain and then you'll probably like hurt the tissue. Hmm. So like the volume really does matter and you don't want to overdo it and get like too much feeling of that pump in terms of like the exact science behind that pump. Like I, I don't know exactly, except that like when you're done, you get these, um, like it's almost like an, like an anti-inflammatory response. And, uh, you get this, this other, it's like a gene expression. Something happens that basically helps you to repair a lot of your tissue. So like, that's, it's kind of what's happening in the body. Okay. Um, and it's fascinating and you kind of do get this like anti-pain, you know, like that comes with it. You're like, wow, I feel really good. Um, so that's like kind of the overview and you could do it every day, depending on the severity of like your injury, because I'm not like injured. I'm, I'm just doing it a couple times a week right now. And it feels good. Like okay. I could probably do it more, but I haven't honestly done more than three times a week ever. Um, yeah. And, and is you that... can get really sore. Okay. Yeah. And is the application primarily recovery and injury recovery or is it, are there like pure strength applications as well? Um, so it's mostly for, at least in the research, it's for rehab Okay. from an injury. At least that's what I've seen. And yeah. then Tyler has been using it for um, specifically increasing finger strength mm. during, like, it could just be like one phase of four weeks and you just do, um, like, you have to focus on your finger strength and maybe other parts um, of your body. Um, but I don't think you're like, you're really, I'm sorry. Are you getting like, are you hearing my notifications? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, great. Uh-huh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I just got a new phone and it's been a little silly. Um, yeah. So he's been focusing primarily on strength and he has seen a lot of great results in his athletes just using blood flow restriction. Um, and it's nice because like you could use it as a recovery tool um, because the load, like the volume is so low. Mm. And so y- you can actually give this to, especially elite athletes who are training all the time. You know, you could vary up their training by using blood flow restriction. So it's like very enticing and like really cool. I don't know if like recreational athletes need it necessarily. Okay. Um, but m- maybe in this like phase of like recovery, like, especially if you've like not feeling so great, like maybe you've lost a little bit of motivation, um, but you want to maintain strength and not have to work super hard, then mm. this could be a really good tool. So interesting. So yeah, Tyler yeah. and I have talked about doing an episode and this might have to be the, the topic matter. <sighs> yes. I would, 
Yeah, I think a deep dive on this would be really interesting. Yes, um, <laughs> it would be very cool to see like the climbing industry kind of like uh, adopt this method because hmm. uh, there are quite a few sports that are starting to really put it into their programming. Okay. So, yeah. So back to your bicep curls, you're you're basically using those straps that you described, yep. and I'll link to those in the show notes, but you're using those yep. around your upper arm? Yeah, so you, you put it kind of like as far up on your arm as possible, so it's around your deltoid area, and you, you pump it up. There's like a specific uh, pressure. It's almost like getting your, your blood pressure measured. Yes, it feels just like that, like kind of like a little uncomfortable. Like it doesn't feel great, especially the first couple times you do it. Um, and you start easy, you know, like there's like uh, a pressure, you can, you continue to increase the pressure over time. Um, and you do like, you can do like maybe four to six exercises and you do three sets of 30 repetitions and okay. you, you should be able to finish all of those reps. Like if you're not being able to finish those reps, the weight is too heavy or the movement is too difficult. Mm. Yeah. Um, the finger protocol that I use that I got from Tyler, which, um, you know, I kind of adapted it is like you do finger curls with like, I have a tension block and I just add a kettlebell, like a very light kettlebell. Hmm. It was like an eight kg kettlebell and you do finger curls. I think I did around 20, 20 to 30 finger curls. And then I did a hangboard, Like I just hung like on the larger edge for 10 seconds. And then I would rest 30 seconds and then repeat and do that. I did that for about eight, eight cycles. Okay. Um, so that one, like, because it's like a smaller muscle group, it feels like I can continue to do more work. Whereas if I did bicep curls more than three sets, I would like, it feels like my biceps are going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're leaving the bands on during that rest period. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think the max amount of time is like around 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. Like, I don't think you really want to go much more than that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. I mean, there's definitely things you need to look into. Like, you can't just like go ahead and do it. <laughs> Tie tourniquet around to... your bicep yeah. and just go for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. To be continued. I, I will uh, have to reach out to Tyler and try to set this up because I think this would be yeah. a really fun deep dive. But yeah, I'd be stoked on that. But yeah, um, yeah. Mercedes, I have more on my list here than we can probably get to today. <laughs> I figure I should probably <laughs> yeah. start by checking in. Do you have a time limit today? Um, Not really. Okay. Cause this I, I could... left it very open. Okay. I mean, we could definitely go big. This could very easily turn into a, a two-part conversation because I got a bunch of questions for you too. Okay. So, but, um, yeah. but yeah, we can kind of, we can kind of feel it out. You know, all the people that submitted questions are also patrons. So we could just do that as like a follow-up and then they could sure. still hear your answers to their questions. But yeah, we'll see. I think we'll cover a lot of them just through the stuff that we had already planned on. Okay. Um, but I figure with you, it's probably a good idea to just give a little more context to our listeners about your practice and yeah. what you focus on with, with clients and um, what that's looking like these days. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of my background, you know, I'm a strength and conditioning coach. So a lot of my training is based on like research. And then there's this other side of my training that is more movement practice based, which is 
not covered in research. Like that's really hard to do a lot of research on. However, you know, like my goal is to kind of like merge the two and movement practice is kind of like a very nebulous term. And I did it for many years, mostly to help me get through a time when I wasn't motivated to climb, but I did want to continue improving my athletic skill. Hmm. And so I did a lot of this movement training. So I do blend the two. Um, So with my clients, you know, we work a lot on like strength, uh, climbing technique, footwork, flexibility, and uh, trying to improve quality of movement. And we do that through some like movement practice. Um, so that's, that's kind of like the whole package. And then I, I help some of my clients with nutrition. Um, you know, like I don't like to make meal plans, but we talk a lot about like habit-based nutrition. Um, yeah. And all of that is really done through my one-on-one coaching. And then I do offer flexibility focused training kind of like on, like on its own. And I do that through courses and I have, um, a product that's an evergreen product on my website, uh, which is the minimalist flexibility program. Um, and I'm about to release a couple other programs this year that will, um, be more like group focused coaching rather than one-on-one. Okay. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I want you to fact check a couple things. So I have a note here that you have a master's in human movement. Yes. Yeah. I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what's your elevator pitch for that? How would you describe that to someone if uh, if you only had a couple minutes to break it down? Yeah. Whew. Should we even get into that? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, essentially, a lot of my research was in how people learn a skill. So it's like skill development and like how that changes their perception of, um, I think themselves and like their own skill level. So it's like when you go into your master's, you can choose a lot of different, uh, pathways. And so for me, it was like climbing and, and like, how do I, like at the time, no one was really researching climbing. So I had to kind of like choose a, a lab to kind of like continue what I was like really passionate about. Um, so I did a lot of like my own climbing research. And then I went into a lab at uh, university of Boulder, Colorado, sorry, university of Colorado in Boulder. And uh, I was with this group that did motor learning. And so we would like basically find out how people best learn, you know, like it is, is it positive reinforcement? Is it the type of cueing? Mm. Um, do we have to threaten you to, <laughs> to learn something really quick? You know, like all of these like things. And that was really cool. So like, uh, that was some of my focus for my master's degree. Okay. Yeah. Oh man. I just opened up a, a whole other rabbit trail that we could go down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah I, I would love to know some of the, some of the key takeaways that you've used with your clients. Like what are the um, bullet points there as far as what you've learned about how people learn how to move better? Yeah. I mean, essentially, uh, you know, we all learn a little differently. We have like the visual component, we have the verbal component, we have like um, kinesthetic component. Like if I move you through something, will you be able to like feel that movement? Kind of like power spotting, you know, like that's like one element. Um, so Mm. like there's different types of learning. And if you know the kind of learning that you're best at, then, you know, we try to like use that to enhance your skill development. So with a lot of my folks, actually like visual, a combination of 
uh, visual and verbal feedback has helped a lot. So that's why why we use a lot of like technique feedback. So if someone sends me a video, I'll do a visual, like I'll like draw some lines and then I'll also talk at the same time. And oftentimes that person can see like, oh, I see where I'm going wrong. And then they can use that as feedback when they go back to that climb. Um, like drawing lines on their video. Yeah. Got you. Okay. Yeah. Um, and hopefully like that like sticks around. And I, I think a, like a lot of my clients now are able to like look at a video and they're like, oh, I see it. I see that thing now. Mm. Um, and so like, you know, it becomes a tool for them, like visual feedback. Um I mean, the other thing, and this is very simple, I think most people know the answer to most of their questions. So, you know, it's it's normally like helping them get to their answer is, uh, I think, the best form of learning. Mm. Um, so, like, if someone says, oh, what's the beta? Like, I can't figure it out. Like, okay, like, well, what did you try before? How did that feel? What are other options that you could uh, create in this position, you know, like there's not just one option, there's many. And so like, it's just helping that person get to their own answer. Because like, if you just give them the answer, they've now just taken a huge shortcut in their learning process. So that would be a, the biggest one, I think, for most people is that, you know, the answer, we just got to help you get there. Mm. Yeah. All the best teachers are good at asking questions. Yeah. <laughs> that always aggravated <laughs> me when I was younger. <laughs> yeah. You're like, no, just tell me. Just tell me. Yeah. I, I appreciate it now, but yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that's very cool. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah. I want to get further into that, but I, I want to kind of uh, give people an overview of what I'm excited to talk with you about today. Um, you've been brought up by quite a few people that I've had on the show. Steve Bechtel mentioned you, and you came up again with Natasha Barnes and I think Leif Gash and Chelsea Mern. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've, you've got uh, some street cred. Yes, amazing. And, and they're was, all awesome folks. <laughs> they are, yeah. Yeah, and it was really fun. We had a chat the other day, and, you know, I've had a number of conversations, especially recently, about flexibility. It keeps coming up, and... I kind of feel like I've been a, a human pinball just bouncing back and forth like, ah, oh, it matters. I should do more of it. Ah, oh, cool. It doesn't matter. I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> just back and forth and back and forth. And my conversation with you a couple of weeks ago was really one of the first times where I felt like, huh, I know deep down from observation, from, you know, countless personal experience that if I had better mobility in very specific ways that it would help me in my climbing because I see other people use it all the time. You know, for, for instance, the splits, like maybe I don't need full splits, but I see people with better hip mobility and hamstring mobility or flexibility than me utilize that in their climbing all the time. Yeah. And I'm sure it would be helpful. And talking to you was really one of the first times where I felt excited and empowered to actually do something about that <laughs> because it's always just felt like such a um just a giant like just such a monster like there's there's no way I can do it long enough consistently enough to make any difference because you know I've I've tried it over the years and it just never seems to go anywhere and I give up before I make progress so 
So yeah, one of the things I'm most excited to get into is kind of this, you know, kind of this minimal effective dose idea applied to mobility and flexibility and some of my most burning questions. And I got this question actually in a, a number of different forms from quite a few listeners, but you know, what are the biggest bang for the buck areas? Like what are the m- most important mobility areas for climbers to focus on? And how much do we have to do to really make a difference? And and part of our conversation a couple of weeks ago was you really breaking down that, you know, it really, it does take a concerted effort to make a difference in these areas. But then the great news is that then you get to chill out. You get to back off to maintenance and maintaining it is really easy, especially if it's useful mobility that you're actually using in your climbing. Yep. So, yeah. Anyway, um, all of that was fantastic news. Got me really excited for this conversation. And that is <laughs> kind of <laughs> kind of the focal point that I'm excited to, to dig yeah. into. Yeah. Well, I think, that, so first I did want to talk about like the terminology that we use. Um, And I think there is some misunderstanding on like about the word mobility and the word flexibility. And I think like, like flexibility, maybe like a lot of people think about this word as, oh, it means that you have extreme ranges of motion and maybe that's not useful and it probably makes you weak. And so I think this word flexible doesn't really hold up as as it should like um i think there's just like a lot of negative words or thoughts around uh flexibility um and then we have this other word mobility where we're like oh my god i'm so excited about mobility i need to do mobility training and somehow like this word mobility has like all of these positive (laughs) thoughts around it um and so i just want to like clear some of the terminology up and i I think that while like using the word mobility is great, it, it's just like a slightly wrong. Um, <laughs> so like flexibility, like the definition really is actually just being able to move or bend without breaking, you know, and, and if we, we have a way of measuring it, which is uh, range of motion. So m- range of motion and flexibility aren't necessarily like the same thing. We use range of motion to measure flexibility, hmm. but you know, in, in and of itself, like flexibility is the ability to bend without breaking and to be very adaptable to our situation. So when you think about that definition for climbing, like that's exactly what we need and what we want when it comes to climbing. We want to be able to get into any kind of position that's asked of us, especially when things get really, really hard. Um, so then mobility is more of this um, it's more of a, like the sum of, of all of these other motor qualities. So like, and I should say that flexibility is actually a skill. So just like strength, it's like, it's a, it's a Hmm. skill acquisition that we need to eventually like learn and then adapt. So flexibility is the same thing. Um, and for some people it takes a little bit longer than others. Um, so Mobility is kind of like the sum of all of our motor abilities. So if like, you know, like depending on how strong I am, how coordinated I am, how much speed I have, how much flexibility I have kind of shows up as this term mobility. So, you know, it's mobility is more of the quality of your movement. So you can't like you can't actually train mobility directly. 
Um, mm. It's kind of like also like stability. You can't really train stability directly, but you can train strength, flexibility, all of these other things to make that better. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, but like we'll still use the words because like, People are still using it. It's probably going to take a really long time. I don't know if it'll ever go away. Um, but yeah, like just so you, like people know, that's kind of like the true definitions of those two words. Yeah, those are incredibly helpful definitions, and they feel very different from the connotations that I have in my head around both of those yeah. words. Yeah, I, I've always yeah. I've always understood. I wonder if this holds any water. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. But I've always understood flexibility to be a little bit more. Uh, muscle and neurological based and then mobility to mm. be more of like the quality of your joints. Is there mm. any validity to that? Or is that, is uh, that something different? Yeah. I think that's still something different because yeah. like you can still like the quality of your joint movement or your articulations, I think still kind of go under the flexibility umbrella. Okay. Um, and there's different ways of measuring that. Yeah, just like range of motion, like uh, I think there is actually a way that like physical therapists can measure like the joint movement, you know, and so that will go, I think, under flexibility. But like that is actually really tricky. That's a tricky one. And I might have to get back to you on that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like in terms of like mobility exercises, so when I think of mobility exercises now, I actually think of like how best can I prepare my body? for climbing and like i will kind of use the word mobility exercises when i give someone warm-up exercises so that's kind of like what i thought about when when you asked me this question mm. so um some exercises that i really love like all of my clients do the spider-man press which is like a push-up but you put your foot up next to your hand and you do a push-up so you're opening up your hips in that position, which is like kind of like a high step, you're mimicking that position. And then the squat routine, I have this whole like squat routine that goes through internal external rotation for your hips, plus the actual squat itself. And then um, the butterfly or the tailor's pose, which is just like seated and you bring your feet together and you try to bring your knees out to the side and push mm. it, push them down to the ground. So those are less strength related and more just like lightly moving through these positions so they can be put into your warm-up to then prepare you to climb and all of those are very like hip dominant um exercises i think for climbers like number one is going to be hips hip movement okay yeah so that would be that would be more of like a daily warm-up part of your climbing warm-up prep yeah okay and what would be, yeah. I'll, I'll, I know you share a lot of videos. I'll try to find videos for all of those and I'll link to them in yeah, the show I notes. Yeah, I can send those to you. Yeah. yeah. That'd be perfect. What would be yeah. an example protocol that you would run someone through if they're warming up for a climbing or training session? Yeah. And actually I have like a, a really great presentation on warming up in um, Steve Bechtel's like the Climb Strong, um, no, sorry, the Performance Climbing Coach seminar. Like those like I go for like, it's almost two hours of like how to warm up. So there's a lot, um, yeah. <laughs> so, but the quick, the, the quick and dirty is like, you know, like spend time warming up, especially if it's a limit session, you know, like get your body warmed up, either like some cardio or something like that, get your blood flow into your muscles and joints 
and then start to move them around. So I like, I like to do like leg kicks, arm swings, things like that. And then I go into some very specific positions like the Spider-Man press, the squat routine, or anything very specific to the climb. So this V10 that I was projecting required a very heavy right heel hook for like several different moves. Hmm. So I really like, I made sure that my right side was well warmed up for those movements. Um, and I, I did like the Taylor's pose for that. I did the performance stretch for that. Um, so passive stretching is okay in your warmup. You're going to be totally fine doing those passive stretches. It's not going to inhibit your performance 100%. Um, and then like, once you do that, then you can start doing like on the, on the rock or on the wall specific warmups. So like your footwork technique or, and then you start to ramp up to your limit grade. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think that people are so afraid of static stretching in their warm up that they just don't do it when it actually really could help them so much more to like improve their, um, their range of motion. Yeah. I, I love that yeah. you shared that. Cause I, I, th- yeah, I got some questions about that for sure. People definitely okay. are concerned about whether they should do that or confused about it. Um, yeah. a couple people were curious if stretching before a climbing session or, or stretching more in general would compromise their power or their, you know, sure. springiness, their tightness that they think that they want. Um, yeah. But let's zoom in a little bit more on some of the details of that warm-up. We don't have to go for two hours and cover your whole presentation here. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I am curious, uh, how long should that take? The whole, let, let's say the whole warm-up, including doing a little cardio to get your blood moving and then going through everything else you just mentioned up until you yeah. put your climbing shoes on. Like, how long should all of that take? You know, I... I think for each person it'll be a little different and depending on the ambient like temperature, you know, if like, if it's cold outside, it's probably going to take you quite a bit longer to get Mm. warmed up. I, I would say like for me, like I personally warm up before even getting on the rock, like it's at least 15 to 30 minutes. Okay. Like it's about that range. Um, yeah. And I, I've heard people say, Oh, you don't need to warm up for longer than like 10 minutes, you know, before you get on the rock and, like maybe that person has incredible range of motion and incredible blood flow that maybe they don't need to do that. But like it, you know, for me, it, it takes some time for a limit session. If you're doing like an endurance session, you prop that's when maybe it'd be five, 10 minutes off the wall mm. because it's not limit. It's, there's not a lot of skill. You probably don't need a lot of range of motion and you probably don't need to mentally prepare for anything. So, yeah. Okay. And then how important is the order of all those things? Like, for instance, I'm thinking if I were climbing outside or projecting something outside, there's usually a hike either with a sport climbing pack or a bunch of crash pads. And so that'll get my blood flow going. But, you know, can I can I wake up and do my stretching while I make my coffee and then do the hike and then start climbing? Or do I need to do all the things in the right order? How do you think about that? That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I guess for like for climbers who might warm up at home and then head out to the crag like that could be a little different but like in the research there is a specific order and it is like do your cardio first then do your joint ranges of motion um then uh start to like mentally prepare as well and then you have your potentiation which is like um you can do some like very fast and quick movements before 
you get onto your project, you know, like, so that could be like pulling on your tension board kind of like quickly. So you do like three to five seconds of like kind of like an accelerated pull. Um, you know, so like there, there is a specific protocol and that's called the ramp protocol. So if anyone wants to look into that, that's like, there's a lot of research on that. So it's R A M P. Okay. I'll, I'll find yeah. some stuff and I'll link to it. Yeah. <clears throat> and then as far as, uh, you know, the isometric stretches at that final, you know, getting towards that final stage of the warm up. Yeah. How long should those be? And what might the intensity be? Like, should, you know, should there be some discomfort there? What are your thoughts on, on those two questions? And I actually got a question about, um, duration versus doing more sets with shorter durations. How you think about that? Yeah. Um, okay. So, we're talking specifically about the hips here. And if I know that you asked a question before where whether static stretching inhibits performance, like maybe I wouldn't do a long held finger stretch okay. before I, I get on the climbing wall. Like, okay. Like that's very specific. Like I, I use my fingers probably very close to max on my limit boulders so I, I, I won't do a 90 second hold on a finger, like a finger stretch or mm. like even my wrist stretches, but I do move my wrists and my fingers. So I just don't hold it statically, but I will, you know, make sure that I have all those joints prepared for what I'm about to do. But with the hips, it's a little different because we are probably nowhere near a hundred percent and it's not like a hundred percent effort on the climbing wall and it's not like i'm doing 10 dinos in a row you know mm. like if i was doing dinos all the time maybe i wouldn't stretch as much but even then you know it really depends um and the reason why like they've done all of these studies on sprinters where they would have them stretch for 30 or 60 seconds and then ask them immediately to go sprint. And of course they're going to be slower. So whether you're stretching or not, that stretch really shouldn't inhibit your performance because the stretch uh, affects what's called the Golgi tendon organs. They're like this little mechanical uh, structure in our muscle that tells us where we are in space. And so like before we used to think that that would just like turn off so it would basically like give us, um, it would like essentially slow us down, but also not have the signal to say, hey, you have gone beyond a range of motion that your joint can handle. And now there's a higher risk of injury. Uh, so that I think is all kind of like being debunked now. Like, okay, the GTOs, yes, they turn off, but it's only for like seven seconds. Oh, interesting. So, so you can, like, if you wait, like, by the time you stretch and then put your shoes on, get your chalk on, I mean, it's probably going to be, like, 10 minutes, you know, <laughs> before you're, like, maybe even limit bouldering. Who knows? Sure. You know? So that's why it's okay. It's You're going to be totally fine. It's not going to slow you down. So the stretches that I would do, like, the positions, um, I would hold them for at least 30 seconds. Like, 30 seconds is... A lot of the research shows an improved range of motion from a 30-second hold, and that can be one time. Okay. Um, if you wanted to, you could do several sets of 15 seconds, you know, if you want to do that. That's okay, too. It might be up to the person. 
Um, for someone like me, I am a very stiff person. Like I'm very tight. I need longer help duration. Mm. So I, I will hold at least a minute to two minutes. And like, for example, like that, uh, project I was doing, and it was actually like halfway through my session. I was like, I'm starting to get tighter. So I need to open it up. And I, like, I held the stretch for two minutes, Mm. um, to like open it up again. Um, so Anywhere between there, like I think research shows that like anything more than like two minutes probably isn't going to do much more. Okay. For you. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then what about the intensity or the sensation? Like what are you feeling when you're sitting there for two minutes, opening it back up? Yeah. So we have this in the beginning of the stretch, we have, we have this sensation or uh, a mechanism called the pre-stretch and, uh, Basically, we want to override what's called the stretch shortening cycle. So when your body, when your joint goes into a stretch, the stretch shortening cycle kind of like inhibits that joint to go much further. Um, So that sometimes could be like for each person that could be a little different. But basically, like the, the feeling is probably relatively like high intensity. So we don't want to go there. So like I would say like a six out of 10. Okay. Like pretty low intensity. That pre-stretch could last about 30 seconds and you just hold that six out of 10 and then you can push deeper into an eight out of 10 once you've kind of like uh, pushed through that pre-stretch sensation Hmm. and kind of like ride that eight out of 10. Like it shouldn't stop your breathing. Like if you if it stopped your breathing and you feel very uncomfortable, that is not the right intensity. It should be something that feels like, like it feels good. You can easily breathe through it. And any kind of like uh, sensation is fine. So if like it's a very low intensity, that's actually probably okay. Um, if it, if we're talking about improving flexibility, okay, we need to like stick to the higher end, like the higher intensity. But if we're just looking to increase range of motion for that session, mm. like lower intensity is going to be okay. Um, I would just hold it for a little bit longer. Okay. Yeah. You you just triggered a thought for me. Um, what about breathing? Should we be trying to breathe a specific way or do anything in particular to, you know, relax into the stretch as much as possible? How do you coach people yeah. as far as that goes? Yeah. So, you know, like the best thing you can do is like breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth and mm. try to make the, the inhales and exhales maybe just a little bit longer than your normal breathing rate. Um, But especially on the exhale, like you want to mentally kind of like connect with that muscle that you're stretching and think about it just like melting away. Mm. Like it's just like completely relaxing. And so that exhale, like naturally our exhales are parasympathetic, like they're tied to our parasympathetic nervous system. So what that means is that we naturally relax every time we exhale. So if we can make that exhale a little bit longer and a little bit more intentional and really think about like a target joint or muscle. That's really going to help with that um, relaxation of that joint and muscle. Okay. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of other breathing techniques, especially when we, when we go into like flexibility training, but this is like the simplest one that anyone can do. And it's very easy. So what comes to mind is like a, like a deep long exhale like that. Yes, that's perfect. That's really helpful. I like the melting yeah. away. Yeah, that's a really good, yeah. 
that that's really good yeah. language. That that seems yeah. really helpful. Awesome. Cool. Okay. So we we've been talking about things to do every climbing session to warm up for this session. Are there are there any other parts of the body that you focus on or is it primarily the hips? I yeah, so anything for shoulders or anything else? Yeah, so like there's um a, like a kind of a group of shoulder exercises that I like to have my folks do and for me personally because like a lot of us sit at desks so we kind of like round our shoulders forward a lot more so what that means is that it's going to be a little bit harder for the scapulas to um to move in the direction that we want them to move so um if we can do some exercises that incorporate like uh the mid and lower traps so like uh, these exercises called the band pull-aparts. I love those because it gets the mid and lower traps to engage. Um, and it also starts to help pull us, like pull the shoulders back. So like, it really helps to move the shoulder blades around. So that one's awesome. I do that every time. And like, for me personally, I'm, I'm doing up to like 40 repetitions of this, mostly because it feels good. Um, I have a very light band, which is why I'm doing it for so many repetitions, but you could just do 10 with a heavier band. Um, so like that one and I, I warm up my wrists. Like I, it used to be every session because my wrists were so tight, but I don't have to do that much anymore because I have that range of motion now. Um, so I will spend just a little bit of time on my wrists and my fingers and then I'll do, um, you know, the tension block. I will use the tension block for a lot of the stuff. Um, squat, like the squat routine, what else do I make sure I do? Oh, pulling. So like, uh, I use the band to pull as well. So like, uh, like rows. Oh, okay. Those are great. Yeah. Just to get the activation of those muscles, not necessarily as a strength workout, but just an activation. Okay. Yeah. Like loop it around a tree or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 I normally do a bent over row. So like the, my foot is on the, the band. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Perfect. Um, I want to move into some of the more focused flexibility. Like if I were, if I were trying to improve my flexibility in specific ways and some of the biggest uh, focus areas for climbers. But before we do that, is there anything that we missed or should, should, um, yeah. Anything we didn't touch on that we should with the The mobility, the mobility stuff. Um, Just know that this mobility stuff probably won't increase your flexibility. Okay. Like, like long, like it might, but it will probably take a very long time. Okay. You know, um, so it'll make you, it'll give you the most out of what you have already for that session. Exactly. But it won't increase your flexibility over the long haul necessarily. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Um, so with flexibility, I mean, I have my own, my own specific area that I am most interested in focusing on. But before I uh, just selfishly hog the mic here, I would love to just hear what are the areas that you prioritize with your climbing clients? Yeah. So, you know, before I used to have like these flexibility drills and like, okay, you're going to work on this. But I think it was it was not motivating for a lot of my clients to do. Um, And I think a lot of people struggle with this. They're like, you know, like flexibility is just kind of boring. So how do we repackage this so that you can kind of see 
progress, like almost on a daily basis. And how can we make it so obvious that it's actually going to help you in your climbing? And I love this. So, this is this is the pitch that got me so excited. Yeah. To talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, like, basically, by looking at professional climbers, you see them doing the splits. You're like, they're basically doing a side split on the wall. And when you see the top, the pros doing even high steps, like they're almost in a front split when they do that. So. I've now adopted that of like, okay, these are the things we're going to be working on. We're going to be working on the side split, the front split. And I throw in the back bridge because this is something I have sucked like so much uh, on, like for most of my life, I could never get into a bridge. It's perfect. I got a, qu- I got a question about the back bridge in, in particular. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Um, so those are like three positions that I think are very useful. And you know, if you don't want to do the bridge, that's fine. Like if you're going to choose two front, the front split and the side split, and that's it, you know, like especially Amazing. for climbers. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So like what's great about them is that you can, you take photos at the end of every session and you're like, Ooh, I have made progress hmm. every time. Like every single one of my clients is like, I am making progress every time. And like, these are folks who have been, you know, training with me for like years you know, and it's still like, they're still able to make progress. They're making um, visual, visually noticeable progress every time. Every time. Yes. Every that time. That sounds if, too good to be true. <laughs> I know. I know. And if, if, if they don't, sometimes it happens where, oh, there's no progress. Um, you know, like, okay, that might be like, um, a, a sign of like, okay, maybe it's time to deload or like let's take a break from flexibility for a little while and then come back to it Hmm. you know um so like it flexibility is something that you kind of do need to like cycle through just like strength training like like strength and power training flexibility is basically treated very similarly Um, you know let's let's pause on this or, or rather let's take a moment to really hammer this home because this is something that i no, but continue to screw up all the time. You know, I, I hear things like strength is the foundational, you know, facet of, of our um, performance and we always need to be stronger. We always can be stronger. And so I've definitely fallen in the trap of just trying to strength train constantly all year round. Yes. And it never seems to work. <laughs> 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 or it'll work for a while and then I just get, you know, stuck forever. So yeah, yeah. I, I would actually love to just, I'll leave it open, but I'd love to hear you, hear you just kind of elaborate on what you just shared. Mm. The cycling. Like specifically the, on the cycling. Yeah. The yeah. importance of cycling through both strength and flexibility. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for like beginner trainees, so if you're, if you've never really trained strength before, even like climbing specific training, you could probably do the same exercise for like three to six months and continue to see improvement. But if you're someone who uh, has trained regularly, you will need new stimulus. And if you don't change your rep scheme or like the volume or the intensity, then you will hit a plateau or potentially even go in reverse because your body is just like, like it's become a little stale in the body. And it's not just like physical, it's also mental. Like you're coming to the the same exercise and the same protocol 
day in and day out. So it's going to feel kind of boring as well. So we need to like stimulate the body in different ways. And, you know, four to six weeks is like in the research seems to be what holds up is like every four to six weeks, you know, change up the protocol. You don't have to change the exercises necessarily, but even just changing like the protocol will be enough to then like overload the body. And it, you know, it's called um, like super compensation. So we just like push the body and then deload. And then when you deload, that's when super compensation happens. Like the body uh, realizes like, oh, I've done all of this work. I'm adapting to all of that stress. And now I'm stronger than I was six weeks ago. Um, so it is this constant cycle of overloading, deloading, recovering, and then doing it again in kind of a different form. Mm. <clears throat> like sets of reps. I think it's Dan John, the the strength coach. I, I like his phrase, same but different. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yep. you, you pick you pick really similar exercises that are slightly different. Like instead of a overhand pull up, you do a chin up or yep. instead of doing two sets of five, you switch to, you know, three sets of three or some it it seems like from what I've learned, it seems like it can be pretty subtle or small changes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And even, I mean, there is a lot of research on variability as well. That variability is actually really good for us uh, as humans, because like, if you think about it, like, uh, like survival, we were constantly coming up against a lot of different situations all the time. So it's like in terms of like keeping our brain like consistently like growing and, uh, with developing new skills, like we have to have variability. So like, I love that. Like you could do so many different variations of pull-ups and still get stronger at like your regular two arm pronated pull-up mm. because like our brain is now also being stimulated by that. Yeah. So then how do you think about cycles and how do those fit in when you're training a client? Yeah. So with, Let's see. Let's see if I can like choose one of my clients right now. Yeah. So I have one client who was very new to, to working out at like specifically for climbing. And so like learning exercises is a huge part. Again, it's a skill. Like we, we have to learn how to squat. We have to learn how to do a pull up. And so like those exercises stayed in her program for a really long time. Um, however, the reps and sets changed. So I actually didn't really change the main workout, the main exercises for uh, for very long. I changed the accessory exercises. So the things that happen afterwards. So if you have your main block of strength training, so let's say I'm going to do four sets of four reps of squats and then maybe four sets of four like bench press. Let's just say that that's like the thing. And then after that, you do a couple sets of higher repetition work as kind of like a finisher and to really drive home some of those movement patterns um, to increase the blood flow, to get a little bit more strength gains. Um, and they look very similar to those exercises. So like if I'm doing a squat, maybe I could do as a finisher, like a, um, a cyclist squat, which is like your heels are elevated and you do high repetition. So you can do 10 to 12 reps right at the end just to like finish it out. Um, a cyclist squat. I've never heard of that. 
oh my gosh, they're amazing for your quad, the great quad development. Um, are you like in exercise. a, um, like a lunge position or your, are your feet? Uh, no, you're, you're in a squat, parallel? but your heels, your heels are elevated by okay. quite a bit. Like I like to use a slant board for it and your knees like drive all the way over your toes. And you're basically just like going up and down, trying to keep your chest up as straight as possible. Okay. Yeah. And, and I would say like those accessory exercises are the ones you can kind of like change more on a regular basis to keep it fresh um, and to introduce some uh, new motor patterns. Um, so in, in her case, it was like, let's keep it fairly similar for the regular strength block, uh, like the, like the main exercises, but let's change the accessory exercises on a, like a kind of like a consistent four week cycle. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Got you. And then I, I totally derailed us. I took us away from flexibility, but that's what we were talking about originally. So, (laughs) (laughs) so how, I mean, this was, this gets back to the, the pitch, not not that you were trying to pitch me, but this gets back to what you said in our conversation that got me so excited. I would love to hear how you think about cycling flexibility in these cycles of, you know, really prioritizing it to try to improve it versus, backing off and just maintaining and how that can how that can look over the long term to make big progress for people yeah well so again like flexibility is a skill and you do have to learn how to do it like there's very specific positions and especially when we get into end range strength like you really want to know like the technique and like what muscles you're actually trying to improve in those positions so you know like just like strength training if i'm learning how to do a pull-up like i if i'm if the goal is to improve my pull-up i have to learn first how to do a pull-up and then you can do all of the protocols for that so it's this it's similar so for flexibility if my goal is to improve my hip flexibility i know that okay i kind of i suck at um, having my hips into the wall so if i'm like straight kind of like a frog position and I suck at like having that position and keeping my feet and my hips into the wall. I need to work on my side split position. That's the easiest way, like in my opinion, to work on that specific flexibility off the wall. So the you could start with like passive stretching, one that'll teach you sensation in your body. Like how should a stretch feel? How do I best get into this position so that I can stretch the muscles that need to get stretched? And then once you like understand that those sensations, then you can kind of go into the deeper ranges, which is the end range strength. And you can do exercises like the horse stance or even just the side split hold. And those do require a lot of body awareness. So that's why it is important to first start with some of these passive stretching hmm. exercises first, and maybe for a couple of weeks, you know, just doing that. Um, and then so the, these deeper ranges or end range strength, you can, if you want to, actually replace some of your strength, like lower body strength exercises with these. Um, and, you know, I basically did that. I was like, you know, I, I suck at flexibility. Like I cannot move the way that I need to sometimes. So I'm, I'm really going to prioritize this. And, and I truly believe like, if you want to improve your flexibility, you do have to focus on it. Um, but you can always like, but, and we'll talk about this, like the maintenance phase. Um, so 
replace some of your like maybe deadlifts or squats with the horse stance or um, like a very a close one to deadlifting would be the J curl and you can do heavy J curls and improve your hamstring flexibility. Ah. But again, you have, you have to like, you have to understand how much weight you can tolerate and still improve flexibility. You know, like uh, if you do a head, like too heavy of a J curl, it's very impressive, but it may not actually improve your flexibility because now it's too heavy for your nervous system to even create any change in your range of motion. Fascinating. Okay. So I want to dig into a couple things here. Uh, first off, were you saying horse stance? Horse. Yeah. Like horse. Okay. I wasn't yeah. sure if it was stance or dance, obviously stance, oh, stance makes more sense. Um, stance. I mean, that would be great. <laughs> That'd be really cool. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll chat with you offline and try to get some resources for that to put in the show notes. I, I've never heard of that before. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the other one, the J curl, that stands for Jefferson curl, if I'm correct. That's right. And that's something I've actually done quite a lot of. And it's one of those, <laughs> one of those classic, like, ah, it worked so well, I stopped doing it things. Yeah. Like it was yeah. going great. And it really, for, for people listening, and I, actually, maybe I'll give you the floor and let you describe it. But it's basically like a slow, rounded back, straight-legged deadlift to improve mm-hmm. your toe touch um, with a weight in your hand. And... I did it, I don't know, I, I was doing it maybe two or three days a week for quite a long time, probably over a year, and I, I definitely improved six or eight inches on my toe touch, so oh, I should probably start yeah. doing it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost some of that. But but yeah, would you be willing to expand on, on the definition there of what the Jefferson curl is? Yeah, like it's really important with the Jefferson curl. So like what we're working on is the posterior chain. And the posterior chain is like starts or, you know, basically starts at the base of your skull and goes all the way down to your big toe. So like that whole line is connected, you know, if you think of like fascial lines. And if you, it's really important to articulate every single segment of your spine and you're articulating in a way that you're like trying to round your spine as much as possible at every segment. Um, and a lot of people, you know, especially if you're a desk worker or maybe you are in certain positions for a very long time, you'll notice that you have very stiff segments in your spine. And so I love, that's why I love the J curl because it can really like open up spinal segments and Mm. you know, the spine, how like the, it houses our, you know, like our nervous system, like a spinal cord. So if, if that is moving really well, then I, I believe like all of the nerves will also glide and move well. And so like, hopefully that will decrease a lot of people's pain in Mm. their body. Anyway, that's another topic. So, um, you know, like really articulate every part of your spine goes like, go pretty slow. It takes me about 10 to 15 seconds to go down. And then at the bottom, you really want to focus on anterior tilt, which is basically turning your hips, like your sit bones up to the ceiling so that you get the maximum hamstring stretch. And not everyone's going to get like super low. You know, you you might only get like maybe like fingers to kneecaps and that's okay. Um, Because the spine is so rounded, it puts a lot more tension on the posterior chain. So you probably won't be able to go 
maybe down as far as like you are used to potentially. And huh. other people might find that they can actually go a little deeper. It just depends on the person and how, how well their spine is moving. Hmm. Um, and yeah, making sure that the knees are completely locked out. And for beginners, I would do zero weight. There's no weight. And you do like maybe up to 10 reps and, you know, like go slow and just feel that position. Um, and then over time you can increase the weight. Should the, should you hold something? Should you hold like a dowel or anything in your hands if you're starting with zero weight? Um, yeah. So I think a dowel would be nice or like even just a water bottle or something. Okay. Um, I think probably having something in your hands allows you to have your arms straight. Like mm. you want your arms to be relaxed. You want your head to be relaxed. Um, but at least gives you some sort of target and you can kind of see where you're at maybe a little bit easier with an object in your hand. Mm. Um, yeah. And the little cue, like right at the end, especially for folks who are a little bit more advanced is like, think about reaching beyond the floor. And mm. that sometimes just gives you even like an extra half inch you know? Mm. Um, yeah. And then you want to hold the end range for three to five seconds, maybe breathing. You could spend longer down there too. Um, and then start to curl up the same way that you went down. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to add a couple visuals for people that I'm borrowing from Tim Ferriss, but I found them helpful and I'll, I'll actually, Ooh. I'll find a video of these and I'll put it in the show notes cause it's really helpful to see it. But, um, you know, you're yeah. talking about articulating, your entire spine. So he described envisioning your spine as like a, a string of pearls and you're just slowly curling one pearl after the next, after the next forward in, until your whole spine becomes rounded. And then awesome. as you get towards the end, you mentioned anterior pelvic tilt. And another one of his analogies that I really liked is if you think of your pelvis, if you're standing up straight, <clears throat> if you think of your pelvis as a wine glass, that's upright holding wine anterior pelvic tilt would be tipping the wine glass forward pouring wine out your front yes and then the opposite would be posterior pelvic tilt which would be tipping it backwards and pouring wine out yes. the back yeah so you're really right. kind of you're kind of like pop locking it you know pop drop whatever yeah that phrase yep. is so <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah. you said go down slowly give me a sense of the the rate that you would go like how many seconds might a single rep take um for a whole like one whole rep probably takes anywhere between 15 to 20 seconds oh wow okay so Could be longer five to ten seconds maybe on the way down hold it for three to five seconds and then slowly go yeah. back up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And for someone like you, Steve, like because you've been doing it for a while and you've had this, you know, it's been in your routine for a while. Like I would have you do elevated toes. Like standing on a box. Yeah. So you, a slant board. Oh, a slant board. On a slant board. Okay. So like standing yeah. on a steep hill. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I've never tried that. Yeah. So we're, we're, so again, like going back to that posterior chain, we're just like adding a little bit more stretch to the end of that posterior chain. Mm. So like elevating. And so for slabs, like slab work, if you're not very good at slabs and you suck at like your ankle mobility sucks, like this is actually kind of like a, a two for one you get, yeah. you get increased flexibility 
uh, in your ankles and the rest of um, like your hamstrings and the rest of your posterior chain. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that for beginners. Though. Well, yeah, I, I already know that that's going to be really hard because my ankle mobility is not great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can, I like it. I can feel the tightness in my calves just thinking yeah. about doing that. So yeah, that'll be yeah. good. Yeah. And then for people listening, um, because you're, you know, eventually, and and really, it's probably worth hammering home that you should take months and months to do this. I think I kept my weight. I had this like four pound bar that I would use and I started with that and I think I kept it at that bar for months, literally months until it just felt stupidly easy. And then I added a little bit of weight to it, but, um, really, really do yourself a favor and take these really slow. But eventually if you have weights, you do need to stand on some sort of elevated platform so that your weights can go below your, your toes. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, slant board, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to find a way to do that. Yeah. On top of my little um, stool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or find a slanted rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes even just putting like a maybe a book or maybe a two by four. Okay. Your toes. That could be enough. Okay. Yeah. So this is really helpful. I've always added them to the end of workouts, but then mm. I tend to, you know, if I'm doing like and I haven't done this recently, I've been on the road, but you know, if I was doing like a normal strength day, I'd maybe do some deadlifts and some presses, do my other exercises. And then by the end, I'm kind of just ready to get out of there. And I would tend to kind of rush the J curls. And I really like the idea of just replacing the deadlift with these and really focusing on them as like the main, one of the main ingredients for a period of time and really giving more focus to them. I think that's going to be helpful for me. Yeah. And like, especially as you get heavier with the J curl, like your abs are going to be so much more engaged. So you're, you're going to get full body recruitment plus this added benefit of flexibility, Mm. you know? Um, yeah. And then how would you, how would you program these and how long might someone focus on this in a cycle? Yeah. So from, I've run a couple groups now, like I have a specific flexibility group training that I do. And the first group, I feel like like made the best progress because it was a much longer program. And we spent much longer in each kind of like phase of the flexibility training. Mm. And, and so like, as a beginner, you know, you, I would say spend at least two to four weeks of passive stretching. And so you don't need to be doing this like, uh, like you could do this every day, you know, like, and it shouldn't really take away from the rest of your training. Like you don't need uh, like excessive amounts of energy to be able to do the passive stretching. So it's just learning passive stretching and really like opening up those ranges, especially in your hips. So like, like two to four weeks of just understanding how to do passive stretching, how to move your spine um, so you could do J curls, um, and cat cow is great because it also improves, um, body awareness. And so like a lot of those spinal exercises are going to be really integral before you go into the next phase. So learning how to hinge as well. So like, uh, doing stick hinges where you put the stick on your spine to make sure that it's staying 
in the same position, um, that your spine is staying in the same position in alignment with the stick. And then you try to hinge just like you do in a deadlift. Um, so you're, you're basically doing those movements in isolation. Um, okay. So you're, you're using like a dowel or like a, maybe a broom, yeah. a broom handle to yeah. make sure that your entire back is completely straight while you hinge at the waist. Yeah. Like okay. your spine won't be like your lower back won't be in contact, but the, the stick is really just feedback of like, is my back rounding at the mm. bottom of the hinge or am I overarching in my lower back? Um, so the, the, the stick is really great feedback tool and learning how to hinge just like we do in the deadlift is integral when it comes to these deeper range flexibility moves, because we have to be able to hinge from the hip to make certain stretches deeper. So yeah, two to four weeks of that. And then, you know, like four to six weeks of where you combined the passive stretch. So the passive stretch, I think, is like the gateway into increased deeper ranges. So I always put passive stretches in the front in the beginning. And then I go into my deeper ranges, which is the horse stance. Uh, the other one that I didn't talk about was the long lunge or the split squat. Um, the long lunge is the the front, like it, it looks like a front split, but mm -hmm. you're in a lunge position. Um, so those are the deeper ranges and you really want to prepare your body for those by with the passive stretches. And so let, let's say like, I mean, the shortest session you could probably do is like maybe 15, 20 minutes and you do maybe two to three passive stretches that target the hamstrings and the hip flexors. You hold those for like 90 seconds and then you go into your long lunge or split squat and you do three to five sets of three to five repetitions with a five second hold on each one, mm. you know? So that would be like a very simple way of uh, putting together a front split specific workout. Okay. Yeah. And you do that once a week. So you don't really have to do that once a week, once a week. Oh, that, yes. that's, I was about so, to ask about that and I'm, I'm very yeah. surprised. So you said with the two to four weeks of passive, you could do that every day. You could do that every day. Yeah. And then you basically, you form like a habit of doing this, like kind of like daily. And then when, when you go into the deeper range, you have a front split specific session you have a side split specific session. And if you're doing a bridge, you get to do a bridge session. And all of those can just be done once a week. But I do like to continue this habit of passive stretching on the other days. Mm, okay. So maybe if you're not doing the passive stretches, maybe doing a cycle like every three days, you know, like you do a side split session and then two or three days later, do a front split session. And then two to three days later, do a side split session again. So maybe they're separated by about five-ish, six days, like each session, um, if you're not doing passive stretching on the side. Okay. And the, the where would the J-curl fit in again? And you could do the J-curl as, like, I like it um, as a front split. Okay. Um, like workout exercise. You can do straddle J curls to improve your side split. Oh, interesting. So you, yeah, your feet would be wide and you'll do the J curl in that position. Okay. Yeah. And, and again, the J curl then, or the, the side split or front split, either one would just be once a week or once every five days. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I, you said a set of 10, how many sets would you do of the J curl? 
Um, so the with the deeper ranges, well, the J curl it depends on where you're putting it and what its use is. Like I like the J curl so much because it's so versatile. You can use it in any kind of application. So if you're doing it as a deeper range exercise, so you've got a heavier weight, you're going to really push your end range. I would not do more than like five reps and then no more than five sets. Okay. Um, yeah. And how long would so, you rest between? Is it like a normal strength thing? Yeah. Like three to five yeah. minutes or so? I would rest. So I like to put it in a circuit. So you do a J curl. And then by the time you come back around to that J curl, it's probably been, you know, about 90 seconds. So that, that would be enough. Okay. Yeah. Got it. This is super helpful. And I think I can actually do this, Mercedes. Yes. yes. <laughs> I think people listening can actually do this. This seems this yes. seems way more reasonable than some of the other anecdotes, some of the other <laughs> horror stories that I've heard. <clears throat> but I, yeah. I am curious. We've left one thing that to me feels like it has a bunch of question marks around it, which mm-hmm. is the passive stretching, like the daily practice of passive stretching. I'd love to just kind of dig into the weeds of that, like what that looks like, how long that session should take. And uh, I have some more specific questions about, you know, exercises and uh, some of the challenges that, challenges that I personally have with that sort of thing. But let's start with yeah. that. <clears throat> oh, man. Passive stretching. I mean, I was not a believer for many, <laughs> many years, probably until like a year and a half, two years ago. I was like, passive stretching is useless. Like, <laughs> I don't know why people do it. Like, I don't see any benefit from it. But, you know, I think the problem was that with research, like research really like I think demonized passive stretching and it was just the the application that the way that they did their research studies like showed like passive stretching is just not good for you you know it's going to hinder your performance but it was the way that they set it up and you know like we're finding out now that it was like completely wrong you know Mm. and sure I think there's some people that might not adapt to passive stretching I have talked to some of these people um they have tried passive stretching and it's just, it doesn't really work. And it, and for some of them, you know, they've seen progress in the beginning, but then just like haven't in a really long time. And sometimes that comes down to nervous system activity. So if you're kind of a wound up kind of person, static stretching, if you don't fully embrace it and believe that you can relax in those positions, it's probably not going to do much for you. Mm. So you have to one, believe that you can relax and like use your breath to fully relax. Um, a second component of it could be a more like, uh, the structure of our tissue. I shouldn't say structure, like the collagen content of the tissue. So like for some people, some people feel just very stiff and some people don't. So I'm definitely one of those people that's more on the stiffer feeling side. Um, you know, sometimes like passive stretching, you just have to hold it much longer Hmm. than a 30 second stretch. Like 30 seconds for me almost does nothing. I'm like, I am just barely getting into, into like settling into the stretch at about 60 seconds, I can start to feel myself opening up. So, you know, I think that maybe there hasn't been enough play in the passive stretching realm. Like people haven't really like done enough research like for themselves in the passive stretch because we're just like, well, 
research says that it doesn't work. So why would I waste my time? And that makes total sense, you know? Um, but so now like, it's nice because like, like talking with practitioners who like people who coach dancers and like gymnasts and folks who, um, like coaches who will train adults to get flexible. Like those are the people that you kind of want to get your information from. Totally. Because, like, unfortunately research has not caught up yet. It, it is, it's starting to, um, but yeah, like adults can get flexible and it just takes a little bit longer, just like everything else, you mm. know, like our strength, you know, will improve a little bit slower than it would for like an 18 year old person. <laughs> Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, we, we learn languages slower, <laughs> all the things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and so flexibility is no different and you just need to figure out the best way for yourself to then go into that. And so passive stretching, I think you do need to practice some like, is 30 seconds enough? Maybe I should try three minutes in one position. How will I feel after that? You know? Uh, okay. So, Yeah. And then what is the, you know, if we're just focusing on these main areas that we've been talking about, so the side splits, front splits, and then potentially the back bridge, like what would be the time commitment per day if someone was in a phase where they were really, really committed to improving their flexibility in these areas? Yeah, I think a 30 minute passive strip session is good enough. Okay. Um, Like 20 to 30 minutes, like it doesn't have to take long. Um, so for a side split session, if you're just doing passive stretching, you would want to work all positions of the hip. Uh, so like internal and external rotation. So you could do um, the 90-90 position and you hold that for, especially for internal rotation. And then you can do the same position for external rotation, which will work the piriformis. So you hold the piriformis for on its own, for 90 90 seconds do the internal rotation to do all those um the other side of it for 90 seconds and then maybe you do the frog which is kind of like the half split it kind of looks like a half split um it's like the frog position on the climbing wall you just do it on the ground so your feet are your knees are out to the side you're facing down toward the ground and Mm -hmm. your feet are trying to come close together um i think some of the um, where we go wrong with the frog, frog stretch is that our feet are out kind of wide. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I've always done it that way. I thought my feet were supposed to be, um, my, I thought my lower legs from the knee down were supposed to be parallel. Yeah. I mean, that, I think that's eventually where we want to get to. Um, oh, okay. I think for some that that might be too intense and could like cause like knee irritation, that sort of thing. So like, having your feet together and then trying to like push your hips down toward the ground. Like that's a really great starting point and it feels really nice. Mm. Um, I think it's just a, like a much gentler position for the frog. So like that's three. And so if you do all those three for 90 seconds each, and then you could do uh, some ankle stretches if you like, or some hamstring stuff or other specific like adductor stretches, you can do that too. Um, so like you can just choose some main ones. Like I, I always do internal external rotation plus the frog and then I'll like have some of my other ones. And, uh, for most of my flexibility clients, we have a routine where we work head to toe. Like if it's a, Mm. like, we kind of call it like a limbering session, um, which does basically whole body. It's not focused on a specific 
side, like if I'm like the side split position or the front split. Um, so we'll, we'll try to hit every part of the body. I, I missed that. Where does that fit in the limbering session? The limbering would be like the daily passive stretching. Okay. Um, like if you're, if you're working on like the deeper ranges, so let's say I'm doing a front split session, the next day I'll do a limbering session. Then the next day I'll do a side split session. And then the next day I'll do a limbering session. So we'll kind of like go in between Okay. those days. Yeah. Okay. So now I have to ask because I'm curious for myself. I already feel myself shutting down and I got a bunch of questions about this too. So hearing that I'm like, damn, I don't know if I'm going to do 30 minutes a day. I want to yeah. kind of, but yeah. I don't want to also. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know myself. I've tried this before. So yeah. for me personally, um, and let's just say for listeners, they have one of these three areas that is their definitive weakest link, you know, like their, or their, their area for the most improvement. For me, it's definitely the side splits. Um, I generally am pretty good at high stepping and I generally have pretty good thoracic mobility and I can reach things pretty, pretty well. If I really wanted to strip this down to the very bare bones, what's the least I could do to actually make some progress with the side splits? What would the daily practice look like? The daily, the daily mobility, or I'm sorry, I'm mixing all our terms up now. (laughs) The the daily, (laughs) uh, limbering stretching, passive stretching. Thank you. Yeah. So the, if you were going to just choose like the passive stretching and it's specifically for your side split, I would do. So if you're doing like internal external rotation is very important. So and for I would for people listening, two. I'll find these and I'll link to them in the show notes because I know the there's a lot of yeah. terminology being thrown around here, yeah, but I'll, I'll link to yeah, all I'm these sorry. exercises. No, it's okay. They're hard <laughs> yeah. to describe too, which is why I'm yeah. just letting it go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so internal external rotation minimum. Again, it comes down to you, but if if you feel like you can open up in sixty seconds then that could be good. You could be good to go. <laughs> so 60 seconds for each. So what's that? One, two, three, that's four minutes. Um, and then maybe sit in the frog for 60 seconds. So that's five. And then end with the side split position um, within a contracted, you know, uh, making sure that you're contracted, hold that for 30 seconds. And this is like a, so like a pancake position sitting on the floor. You could do, oh, you could do pancake. Pancake is a little different to the side split. Um, so pancake is more hamstring okay. and adductors, whereas the side split with your feet turned forward, okay, because there is the middle split, which is feet turned out, like, um, and your feet will be in line with your legs, whereas, like, the side split, your feet are trying to turn inward and facing forward. And, and I'm sorry, um, are, are you standing up for these? Yes. You're okay. Up for Got those. it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the side split is more adductor focused. Okay. So slight nuance. Gotcha. Is there value? I mean, this is kind of a tangent here, but is there value in playing with your ankle and foot position? Because it does seem like, you know, one foot position might have more carryover to a lot more face climbing, normal climbing, and then one would be, you know, if your feet are pointed out, it seems mm-hmm. like that would help more for dihedrals and stemming and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the side split with your feet turned forward 
Um, because that is actually a more challenging position for the ankles um, and then it will improve the strength in that kind of like weird end range. I almost feel like that that would be bigger bang for your buck than having your feet turned out. Okay. Um, yeah, because like if you can do feet turned forward, you could probably do feet turned out. Got it. I don't think it, it really works the other way. Okay. So I interrupted. Where were we at? Six minutes? We're about six minutes. So <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully that's short enough. Oh, that's yeah. Six minutes per day. Yeah. I can get on board Great. with that. Yeah. So six minutes per um, day. And then once a week, if yeah. I were just focusing on one of these areas, like the side splits, for instance, six minutes yeah. every day. And then one day per week, yeah. a longer session with uh, the the horse yeah. stance and Jefferson curls, maybe Jefferson yeah. curls in a... A straddle. Straddle, yeah. Am I missing anything with that? Mm, I mean, that's pretty good. That's I'm, a pretty good session. I'm excited. I can get on board with yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can put like a little like your little side split plan maybe uh, on your website or something. Yeah. I, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. That'll. Uh, yeah. Th- yeah. That'll be good for me. Writing it out yeah. will yeah. <laughs> make it even more likely that I will do it. So I will do that. Yeah. I will share that. And then yeah. as long as we're doing that, maybe uh, you and I can touch base and make a little yeah. program that would be for each of the other each of the other two things on their own. Mm-hmm. And then people can just kind of combine them if, uh, if they want to work on more of those areas. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have one more question about passive stretching and... In my mind, when we were talking about the splits, I had in my mind the pancake stretch, like sitting on the ground with your legs apart. And, you know, maybe that one's not relevant after all, but there are a number of these other stretches sitting on the floor where I find that my baseline in some of these areas is so poor that it's really difficult for me to even like sustain the position. I'm like fighting myself to even be in the position and I can't really use my own weight to like relax into the position, if that makes sense. You know, like yeah. the, the pancake's a great example. Like if I sit on the ground on my butt with my legs either straight in front of me or in a pancake, I cannot keep my lower back vertical. It, it has to round a little bit because my hamstrings are so tight yeah. or, or hips or whatever it is. And um, it's really difficult for me to sit and just you know, I, I can't like sit there and read a book and stretch because I'm fighting so much to stay upright and in that position. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I just threw a lot at you, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are for some of these stretches that we've touched on, like ways that people can scale them if they're starting from a baseline like me. Yeah. And um, actually the pancake is a really, really good example of this. Cause I made the same mistake actually. Like, like I, my pancake was so horrible and finally, someone was like, Mercedes, just elevate your butt. Like, let gravity do the work for you. I was like, what? So I ended <laughs> up, I was like, that's a great idea. So I ended up taking some, like, weight plates. And I think I stacked, like, three 45 weight plates, one on top of the other, and sat on that. That's how far I had to Oh, I, I would have to do at least that many. Like, we're talking, yes. like, the big, fat bumper plates. <laughs> big, fat ones. Yes. I'd They're, have to do like, at least that like, many. each, like, three and a half, four inches or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, <laughs> now yeah, we're talking. I was probably, yeah, I was starting at probably 12 to even 18 inches off the ground where okay. I would just, like, straddle my legs and then 
try to keep my back straight and then just let gravity do its work. And mm. then that way you can relax somewhat and it's okay to round your back. It's okay. Like you can round your back. It, it won't uh, necessarily pull the hamstring into its absolute length, but you know, like there is like this feeling of relaxation that you do need to get. And if like keeping your back straight doesn't feel relaxing, it's okay to just like relax forward. Um, so like basically with any stretch like that, so like the internal rotation, like in the 90, 90 position, a lot of folks have to elevate their hips to let, to make that position happen for 90 seconds where they're not like holding their breath and trying to like stay in that position. Otherwise it is almost working against you. Like yeah. you're, you're probably not going to make a lot of progress if you're fighting it that way. Okay, this is this is perfect because this is another one that came to mind. Like I would not be able to sit on the ground with my torso upright in that position. So yeah. at this point, can we we should probably describe what the ninety ninety is. Can you describe what that stretch looks like? Yeah. So if you're sitting um on the ground and you've got your legs bent, uh let's say you're sitting with your knees bent and uh your feet kind of close to your butt, and then you rotate, you drop your knees to the ground on one side. So Oh God, I don't even know if that makes sense. Uh, but then, so you have a 90 degree position in your one knee and then a 90 degree position in the other, um, but your thighs, so your one thigh is going to be kind of out. So it's almost like a Tetris, you know, like those, like that weird Tetris shape where it's like a, I don't know, it's like a 90, 90, almost like a, almost like a lightning bolt. Yes. Oh yeah. my God. Here, I'll, great, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll take a crack at it if, if you don't mind. Yeah, so, do it. And, and yeah. feel free to correct me. But the stretch I'm envisioning, if you sit on the ground with your torso facing forward, let's say I'm stretching my legs over to my right side first, then my left leg, the thigh to the knee would be pointed straight ahead. And then the knee to my ankle would be pointing straight to the right. And my knee would be bent at a 90 degree. And then my right leg, the thigh to the knee would be sticking straight out to my right. And then my knee to my ankle would be sticking out straight behind me. So yeah. both knees are bent at a 90, but one left leg is in front and then to the right. Right leg is to the right and then behind. And your torso is pointed straight ahead. Yeah. And, and so you're saying you would elevate your hips if you were tight in yes. that position to get your torso more upright. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the, because you're facing that leg to the right, you're actually, you're probably stretching more of that front, that, that right leg. And let's say if you rotate your torso to then face closer to your left leg, now you're going to be stretching more internal rotation. So it, it also depends on like the rotation of your torso. Okay. Um, you're spending time in, in both of those different positions? In both. Okay. Got yes. it. Yeah. Got it. That makes sense. So that's why there's, that's why there's four different positions. So yes. your legs are in one position with your torso in two different positions. And then you switch yes. sides and your torso has those two positions on the other side with your legs. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I said, I'll add some uh, videos or pictures of these in the show notes for people if they can't visualize the stuff. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So okay. elevate. Uh, yeah. Basically that at that point, your, your hips are elevated. Um, and that, you know, both of your legs might be off the elevation to give you some room. Okay. You know? Yeah. 
Okay, so let's let's zoom out. I have a couple questions about this flexibility stuff. Um, I have a couple questions about like this focused cycle of flexibility. So if I were to focus on the side splits for the next few months, mm-hmm. so we already covered what the protocol within the week would look like, what the sessions would look like. Uh, how would this fit in around other training? How do you think about combining days with climbing training or performance climbing or things like that? Yeah. Um, so if you were, let's say you were climbing like three days a week on maybe your light day or your shorter, like lower volume day, you could stack a flex belief session onto that day. Like that could be a good, good place to put it. And this is like the deep end ranges. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is like where you, you have your passive stretches plus the deep ranges. Um, so you could do it on, so you could stack it on a day like that, but ideally you're doing it on the every other day. So you're climbing one day, stretching another day, climbing, stretching, climbing, oh, okay. stretching. So the, the best is to just separate it from everything else. Okay. Um, because, like, because the focus is increased flexibility. Now, one thing though, like because of the deep ranges, yeah. If you are strength training, like heavy strength training, you can't just add, keep adding the stuff, mm. you know, eventually it's, you're going to be so tired. So it is like, you will have to <laughs> take something away. Yeah. <laughs> Done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you, I can't you do, do it all. Away. Yeah. <clears throat> no, <laughs> like if you were passive stretching, sure. If you have like, like some of that extra time again, like you could add that but again, it comes down to time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, just, you know, like what is like the thing that you don't need? Do you actually need to work on deadlifts and squats for the next six weeks? Like mm. you're probably not going to lose much, especially if you're working on these deeper end ranges and you're going to gain so much out of like focusing on these positions in four to six weeks compared to like trying to fit it in when you can. And like, mm. uh, Yeah you know, at that point it gets really complicated and could, you could end up over training. No, I I really like this framework of thinking of it as the training for, for this chunk of time. I'm curious if, you know, for me, I have done a lot of deadlifting and a lot of kettlebell swings in the past. I probably don't need to work on those, but let's say Mm -hmm. I was a person who was seeing a lot of benefit from that, but also wanted to work on my flexibility is something like the Jefferson curl, is that enough to maintain a lot of that strength or would it be worth, you know, going to like a maintenance level of strength training with either a deadlift or a kettlebell swing or anything like that? Um, what are your thoughts on, what are your thoughts on that? Am I just trying to fit it all in? (laughs) (laughs) Should I chill? (laughs) Yeah, that is really tough. I, you know, I think if you want to maintain, like maintain might be easier Um, and so going down to once every 10 days of like heavy deadlifting or once a week, like, I think once every 10 days is probably enough to make you not sore and still be able to maintain strength. Okay. So if it's like, you're like, Oh, I can't get rid of like my big strength days. Like, see if you can be on a cycle like that. Okay. But it sounds like you wouldn't worry too much or you wouldn't, you would encourage someone to not worry too much, uh, for six weeks. Yes. Okay. You're going to be okay. Okay. I like it. Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, once you do these deeper range exercises, you're like, holy shit, like 
abysses <laughs> so much energy and like uh like yeah maybe it's not as heavy you're not lifting as heavy but the the more you increase your range of motion and strength at those end ranges the rest of the range will maintain that strength most likely or potentially even get stronger in mm. some ways mm. like absolute strength maybe not but relative strength likely you will like increase some of that so like just have faith that you are working on strength and you're improving the strength right at your end range. And that is going to like really help your tissue overall anyway. So like, yeah, just trust the system, I guess. Okay, perfect. Yeah. yeah. And then one more thing I wanted to clarify as far as how this all fits together in the bigger picture. So, you know, moving forward with what I'm planning to do from everything that we've talked about, the passive stretching that I'm doing every day, uh, the daily limbering and, and passive stretching, did you say earlier that that's part of the later stage of the warm up for a climbing session or should those things be separate? No, that could the yeah, your passive stretching, but it, like if it's in your warm up, I would only really do the stretches that you're going to need for the climb. Okay. That you're doing. Like really like try to make it as specific as possible. Um you know, you don't need to do your whole body you know, like do other things for your whole body instead. Um, so yeah, so the warm up, make it specific. If it's your daily passive stretching or your limbering session, you could do like your whole body. And I, I like that because like one, I don't ever work my neck uh. unless I'm doing my limbering session. I'm like, ah, oh, now I get to work on my neck and my ankles and like all of these little things that I don't, that I kind of forget about, you know? Yeah. Okay. So you, it sounds like you would do that. You would do the limbering session anyway, and then you would do some specific stretching as part of your climbing warm up, and then have your climbing session. Yeah. All of those things in the same day. Yeah. Gotcha. Like the limbering session, if I, if I was, uh, let's say I went out to go climb in the morning, like maybe that evening I would do a limbering session. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. That was my next question. I was wondering if the timing matters it sounds like just logistics whatever you can do yeah so okay. there is research on time of day um just don't do it too early and don't do it too too late huh, um, okay. the middle of the day seems to be the best like noonish yeah so if you want to <laughs> stop get what you're flexi, doing at noon do yes yeah <laughs> skip lunch <laughs> drop into a side slit yeah. <laughs> stretch while you're eating your sandwich yeah <laughs> i mean i kind of like i do sit in a squat a lot and do a lot of things in a squat so <laughs> for people perfect ah uh, this is perfect my gosh this is this is fantastic i'm learning so much from this okay i have a really probably odd and very specific question that i've always been curious about uh, i mentioned this earlier but i have pretty tight ankles and yeah I recognize that it would likely, it's likely a limiting factor in my mobility, at least in certain ways. Like I notice it when I do the Jefferson curl. Um, once I was improving, once I'd been doing it for a while and was improving and getting towards, uh, you know, I, I think I got to a point where my wrists were at my toes. I really was feeling a lot of the tightness in my calves, like in the back of my calves or that ankle area. And I think it's a lot of its ankle tightness. I've always wondered should I improve my ankle mobility or is in some way 
that passive tightness helping me stand on smaller footholds? Like, will that, uh, will gaining more mobility in my ankles compromise any of my, my ability to stand on tiny footholds and sport climb? Is that a, is that a ridiculous question? No, I, I have heard this several times, especially when it comes to pulling strength. I think it makes sense. Like, like, oh, if, if I'm tight, that means I'm like, like my body is creating kind of like this recoil system. So I'm like real strong there. Yeah. I'm like a coiled but, spring ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. And however, like depending on that range of motion, like that could happen at like at any point in your range of motion, but maybe you don't know that you could go another two inches further in, in your shoulder flexion or, um, like with your knee over the toe, like for your ankle flexion, like you don't know what could come out of that. And the, the tightness is protection. Like that's why we're feeling tight because the joint is protecting you from going further. Why? Because you don't have the strength to Hmm. deal with that range of motion. So the, really the solution is to increase your strength at that range of motion. That's all you need to do. And then now you have more range and now more strength in those end ranges. And hopefully that tightness won't happen as soon. Hmm. So I would argue that sure. Yes. Like it is protect, like it is helping you. I'm, I'm going to agree with you, but huh. you were probably also missing out on some range and strength. If you just opened that up a little bit more. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, it, because it's it's really easy for me to find examples of times where it's likely limiting me. Like I've been doing a lot more knee barring in the last couple of years in my climbing, you know, traveling and climbing in steeper areas like Rifle or the Hurricane or even here in Waco. And I've noticed like, man, if you had not only stronger calves, but also increased ankle mobility, you're just opening up a wider range of knee bars that you fit into. Yep. So Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And again, like that's, the definition of flexibility, like, can you be bendable and not break and adapt to any situation? Mm. And that's what we want. So if I were to work on my ankle mobility or flexibility, gosh, I'm screwing up the terms, uh, through, (laughs) through practicing the Jefferson curls with my feet on a ramp. So on like Mm -hmm. a uphill, um, like we were talking about earlier, would I need to do anything in addition to then strengthen that increased range? Yeah. Um, what would you suggest there? I know you're looking for like the minimal, the minimalist. Always. Um, I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay though. You can just, yeah, you can just tell me what I, what what would be ideal. And then maybe we can, we can. Yeah. It's like, because you know, it's a limitation. I would just focus on it. Like, uh, there are, are other things to take in mind though. Like, I don't know if you've had other injuries to your ankles. Like maybe you don't have a ligament. I don't know, but there's a, there's a, could be other reasons why your joint is, you know, tight. Well, let's but assume it's general, just neglect. <laughs> just neglect. Okay, great. So I don't stretch them. Do a calf stretch. Like, I feel like the calf stretch is so underrated. Like we could all benefit from more calf stretching, Mm. but I think the difference is like, uh, 
like a calf stretch where your foot is off and not being supported. I almost think that that is, uh, again, like kind of fighting yourself and you might, may not see a lot of improvement with that. So instead like support the heel. So on a slant board or your foot on the ground and your, your, uh, sorry, the heel on the ground and your forefoot, like on a book or something, just so that the heel is supported and then you can push your leg forward. Make sure your leg is completely straight and you lean forward until you feel kind of that, you know, six out of 10 and then push mm. further into an eight. Um, so you do that stretch. And then I really like split squats. Uh, split squat, like, this is one of those exercises that I think looks a little different depending on who's saying the split squat. Um, the split squat is the end of a clean and jerk so like the when the person is down in the lowest lunge position with the bar overhead that is a split squat so your back leg is as straight as possible and the front leg you're basically in a perch position so your heel is by your your butt and you're driving the knee over the toe okay Okay, so that is like an <laughs> Olympic th- split squat. I think I'm with you, but this is another one. I think uh, I think we should probably yeah. add some resources so, to the show notes to make sure that this is that I'm getting the right yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah. So the the split squat is just like a lunge, but the front leg is in closer towards you, and the back leg is really trying to be as straight as possible. Okay, and that's yeah. really helpful. And the the front leg will have to be elevated again, to kind of like work your range of motion and you can do these split squats. One, it's going to help your front split and it's going to improve your ankle range of motion. And so if my right leg were forward and my left leg were extended behind me, would my left Mm -hmm. knee be touching the ground or no? It would not. Like the goal is not to touch the ground. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So calf stretch, split squats, and then you do a finisher of um, calf raises and toe raises or tibialis raises. Okay. Yeah. I've got my homework ahead of me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then anything, I mean, you were talking about, um, you know, our, our joints or our brains protecting us from these end ranges because we don't have strength there. Is there anything in addition that we should be doing to make sure that we're now strong in these new positions or will these exercises kind of take care of that as well? Yeah. These exercises should take care of it. Um, like the passive stretching. So that's kind of like where maybe passive stretching doesn't do the whole job, Mm. you know, like passive stretching really is just to like open up these ranges to like teach the nervous system, these new ranges and, um, to relax you. And then you follow it up with the deeper ranges, which is why, like, I think it is important to kind of like phase it in, especially for beginners. Um, so like the deeper ranges really will help that strength at that end range. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is incredibly helpful. Thank you so much for this. Um, I want to check in with you. How are you feeling about time? I'm good. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I mean, one thing I'll touch on real quick, I think we should save this for another conversation sometime if you're up for it. But you mentioned at the start of our conversation that you do nutrition coaching with clients. And one thing we haven't talked about at all is that you also wrote a nutrition book. 
Yeah. I'd love to hear really quickly what people can expect from that or, um, yeah, I mean, just feel, feel free yeah. to give a plug. I'd love to hear about the book and, sure. uh, and where people can find it and who it's for maybe. Yeah. I wrote this book with Maria Heinz. She is a Seattle chef. She is like one of the best chefs for sure. in like the country, maybe even the world, like she has so many awards, um, and she is freaking hardcore outdoor athlete. Like she's climbed the nose, you know, like she's a super rad. So both of us kind of came together. Um, really it was like her idea because like she, like I coached her for many years and like she asked a lot of nutrition questions and she was like, you know, there's just no book about nutrition for outdoor athletes. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like <laughs> that, that is, that does not exist. And she's like, we should write one. I'm like, uh-huh. Sure. Um, not thinking that it would actually happen. Um, but because of who she is and like, you know, like she, she's also so great at like talking to people. She's so personable. She called up the Mountaineers and was like, yo, I'm Maria Hines. I want to write this book. And they were like, hell yeah, we want to publish your book. So, um, you know, and Maria was like, you know, I will not write this book without Mercedes. So, mm. you know, because of her, like, this is why, like, I was able to come out with this book. Um, yeah, so Maria did all of the recipes and they're fucking amazing. They're so good. Um, and they are <laughs> tailored to like outdoor athletes who like, we have them split into sections where if you're going backcountry or if you're just car camping or if you're preparing food at home. So we kind of have a couple different, um, like options for you. Um, so she like took care of a lot of that stuff. Um, and then I did a lot of the nutrition research. So I looked, I read as many, you know, research articles as I could to really come up with like the best information out there for nutrition. However, like with writing the book within like what it took us about two years to write the book, even in a two year span, the research kind of changed. Wow. Um, you know, so it's like with writing the book, it's, it was awesome, but like, I think even in the beginning of the book, I said, hey, like some of this information might even be outdated and just take that into account when you're reading some of mm. the, like the very particulars, like how much protein, a, you know, an athlete should get or how much carbohydrate, that sort of thing. Oh, that's um, really interesting, actually. Yeah. So like that stuff, that stuff constantly changes in, in the research. Um, however, like I didn't want to focus it on like macros and like mm. the perfect diet. I focused it, like I really tried to introduce nutrition as, you know, that nutrition is very personal. We make our choices depending on the trauma we've had or the emotional ties to certain foods. Like we really do have to keep these things into account. And really like the best way to approach your nutrition is through habit-based coaching or habit-based uh, behavior changes mm. and not to just go and try like to do all of these different diets. And like, I personally don't think I will really ever do another diet ever again. Like it is like that stuff just doesn't work, but through habit-based nutrition coaching, like I've like over the years figured out what really works best in my body. Um, so like the goal really is to help people establish a good habitual routine for their nutrition and then eventually find what works for them. And then in some of the, like the very sports specific chapters, we try to go into like, Oh sure. This is what the research says is what you need 
but again, everyone's just a little different. So, mm. um, so Peak Nutrition. Where can people find it? They can find it at REI or Mountaineers um, or awesome. Amazon. Okay. I ideally get from your local bookstore if they have it or they can order it for you normally. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I'm tempted. Feel free to <laughs> feel free to punt at this question, but I would love to know if you had to like boil it down to like a Michael Pollan food rules sort of thing and, and just really point to some principles that, that you can really fall back on. And these can be as general as you want, but I'm curious, are there any things that come to mind? Yeah. So like the food rules would be, um, first understand how fast you eat and kind of like at what time you eat. Um, huh. And add, like, also understanding your hunger cues. I think, like, all of those, like, facets are really important to to understand first before you really change what you're eating. So I really like to first focus on, like, the how. So we're, like, kind of cracking a door into, like, why we eat the way that we do. So, like, in the book, we actually have, like, um, like a list of six things. And the first one is, like, eat slow and eat until 80% full. Like that's kind of like the first one. And that will be like the number one thing that I get every single person to do when they say, Hey, I feel like I need to, uh, change my nutrition. Like, okay. Like maybe you don't need to change anything. Maybe we just need to understand some of your cueing, like in your own body. Hmm. Um, so that would be the first one. And then, you know, like hydration, I think is also key. So being able to, like get enough water. Some people do drink enough, but I think most of us don't. So those would be kind of like the top two for sure that I would talk about. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then the what would be, you know, get all the macronutrients. Like don't restrict yourself. Like make sure you get all of the things, get the carbs, get the protein, get your fat and make sure you get some vegetables because vegetables, I don't really think like, and in terms of like looking at your plate, don't think too hard about like all oh, these vegetables or carbs, like carbs are, you know, like they're going to be what help us the most when we perform. And so like, like when we think of carbohydrate, I think in this context, we're thinking of like starchy or like uh, sugary things. So like potatoes, rice, bread, pasta, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. And then vegetables is kind of like an addition, like eat, eat vegetables as its own like food group. Um, so make sure you get those four food groups with every meal, um, as best you can. Awesome. That's really helpful. Okay. So peak nutrition, you can find it at REI or Mountaineers. I think that came through, but just to, just to double or just to cover our, our butts there with that. (laughs) And then (laughs) where else can people find you and how can people work with you if, uh, if they want to work with you after hearing this? Yeah. So best is, you know, if you have Instagram, uh, you can find me on, uh, modus athletica. Uh, so that's my handle. Um, you can also like search my name. Um, and if you want to message me through there, you totally can. Like, I, I actually really love that when people message me through Instagram and then, 
you can visit me on uh, my website, which is modusathletica.com. I have right now a couple of different programs listed. I don't have a ton there because I'm still trying to put this website together, but I do have like a blog uh, where you can see all of my tip Tuesdays and my YouTube actually, like that's where a lot of my videos are. So if like you want like climbing training tips, it's on there. Um, I have some flexibility stuff on there. I'm still working on it, but every Tuesday I come out with a new video. Awesome. Yeah. I've been following you for a while and those have been really helpful. I've been enjoying them. So yeah, I will be sure to link to your website and your Instagram in the show notes as always at the nuggetclimbing.com for people. And you can find links there in your podcast app. And yeah, before I let you go, I always ask this, I'd love to hear what is something that you've been feeling especially grateful for lately? Oh, you know, actually like I have to say, my one-on-one clients like that, <laughs> like, like more and more, like my one-on-one clients really give me so much gratitude because I get to be on their journey with them and I connect with them like at least once a week. So it's like, I get to see like how they're doing, how they're feeling, how things are changing. And to me, that is like the biggest reward for like my, from my coaching is just Mm. being able to connect with these people. So that's really what I'm grateful for right now. Mm. Amazing. Awesome. Thanks, Steve. (laughs) Thanks so much, Mercedes. (laughs) Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, let's, let's touch base after this and, uh, set up something soon. I'd love to chat with you again and answer more of people's questions and people can look forward to that as a follow-up coming out soon, hopefully. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Mercedes, this has been incredibly helpful. You, you can take full credit for this. I am feeling more motivated to work on my flexibility and actually commit time and try to make progress in this area than I maybe ever have certainly more motivated than I have been in a long time. So, um, and it sounds really nice actually too, to take a break from, uh, you know, strength training focus or worrying about, keeping all the pots on the burner, so to speak, you yeah. know, and really just yeah. focus on this. So, um, yeah, thank you again. Totally. This has been incredibly helpful and I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Steve. Awesome. All right. Best of luck with thanks. your, uh, with your recovery and your rec- recuperation. <laughs> thank you. And yeah. I would love to hear yeah, how too. the, uh, the projects go in Leavenworth. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, we'll chat soon. And if you like, if there's any other stuff that you need from me, just, uh, let me know. Absolutely. Perfect. Cool. Okay. Thanks Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Like we do it.